In this episode, we speak to Kano and Anzri. They join us for a group podcast to understand cultural identity and the migrant experience. So we dive into a lot of emotional topics. It can become quite heavy as well, but we end off with understanding and riffing on how culture can empower you and how we can harness what we have deep-seated in ourselves to benefit the community. So join in now and listen in. So welcoming <laughs> Krishna Dev Singh, aka MC Kano, to the podcast today. Welcome, welcome. And Howdy. welcoming Ansari as well. Both our old friends who we're featuring on as a different way of doing the Okiru podcast mm. today. A bit of a collaborative session. Mm. So before we start the podcast, I will be inviting you to join me for a short meditation, a short practice, so that we can find some grounding and open the space in a safe manner. Because mm. in recent weeks and months, we've been having some very powerful discussions where we are entering into some quite vulnerable spaces as well. So this is a great way for us to get on the same wavelength and to really ground ourselves before we really begin. So I'm inviting you all to gently close down the eyes, finding a seat that is comfortable for you. This meditation is about cultivating more kindness for yourself and the people you come into contact with your life. It is commonly known as loving kindness meditation or metta. So take some time to arrange in your body in a comfortable seat. Have your spine tall, sit bones grounded, shoulders and hands relaxed. Doing your best to drop any expectation you might have of yourself or how this meditation might go. Bringing your attention to your body. Place your attention at your stomach. You might notice the gentle rise and fall of your breath. Trying to stay open and curious with this experience. And now, moving your awareness from the stomach to the center of your chest. This is what we call the heart center. Can you feel any sensations in this area of your body? Perhaps a gentle beating? A constriction? or a sense of space. And perhaps an image or a picture in your mind of what the heart center is. Now bring to mind somebody you love. Perhaps a friend, a family member, or a child. They are right there alongside you. 
Imagine their love for you shining out of them and your love for them flowing out of you to them. We're going to send them some good wishes, some kindness. Imagine them right there with you, gently and silently in your mind. Repeating after me, may you be happy. May you be well. May you live with ease. Let these words become your own. May you be happy. May you be well. May you live with ease. Notice how these words make you feel as you wish this person you love just all of the good things in the world. Now bring to mind someone you know who is having a difficult time. And with each in-breath, bringing a sense of this person. And each out-breath, offering them your intention of kindness. May you be happy. May you be well. May you live with ease. With your next out-breath, let the image of this person dissolve. Now let's bring the same sense of compassion to yourself. Gathering all of your attention behind each phrase and offer them to yourself. May I be happy. May I be well. May I live with ease. So extending this field of loving kindness to our wider community. All the people gathering in this room and just like you, these people deserve happiness and wish them to be free of suffering. Using the breath to support these phrases, sending the intention of love and kindness to all people, known and unknown, close and far, Notice any sensations you feel in your body. Perhaps your face or in the chest. May all beings be happy. May all beings be well. May all beings live with ease.
So now, letting go now of this practice and bringing your attention back to your body. You might like to take a big long breath in through the nose and a big sigh out of the mouth. And as this practice comes to a close, remember you can use this to encourage a sense of kindness and connection whenever you need. So in your own time, inviting you to gently opening up your eyes and returning into this space and preparing for a beautiful conversation. So inviting you to maybe share some comments or feedback on, on the practice. Kano, any thoughts and, and how that felt to you? I know there was a bit of distraction and some construction guys walking <laughs> in and out with their heavy boots as well. But I guess through the practice of meditation, you can't really hold on to certain mm. thoughts and you mm. just have to let go and, and release and surrender too. Mm. And I think having those people come through, at first you're like, oh, crap, we're recording a podcast. It's going to be <laughs> in the background. But I think when you are meditating, it's like I think the practice is so much about forgiving. It's about, mm. so much about accepting what it is. I'm like, it is what it is. They're just here to do their work. Let's just go back to what we're doing, um, back to meditation. It feels very light. Um, I think as soon as I opened our eyes, I looked at a few people and you see you guys smiling, which is good to see. I think it does bring a smile on your face when you just, you know, reach out to people that you that you love, reach out to people that you, you that you love and are having going through a tough time, then you reach out to yourself and be like, I want myself to be happy, to, to deliver mm. the eat. So I think it's very reassuring and comforting. Mm. Mm. How'd you go, Anzari? Because this morning we sat with you in a, in a flow class and we're all quite sweaty <laughs> by the end of it. But as a yoga teacher, you have to create the space so that you can give to others mm. as well, so that you can hold the space. And look, at how, how did you feel through in the, during the practice and... and in opening up this space. Yeah, so you mean sweaty and happy, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. got the happy part. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I really needed that meditation because I feel like when, I know for me when I'm running around from one place to the other to get to somewhere, then I always have this frazzled mind and I always use the moment, like today I didn't do it, but usually I sit in my car, take a few breaths mm. and then I go to the place that I'm going to go to. Otherwise, I'm all over the place by the time I get there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for me, that was just more like, it's okay, you've made it to this place, and now I don't have to think about the next commitment mm -hmm. until this is done. So it makes me stay uh, makes me stay in this present moment and grounds me to begin with, I think. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. And Jasper, how'd you go? Yeah, I think I... No, I don't think, I know I needed today. <laughs> I needed that yoga practice. I needed this med meditation because it's been such a hectic week. Mm -hmm. And even before the yoga practice, I was rushing out of my plate <laughs> and I realized, oh, this is why people arrive early because your mind feels so chaotic. <laughs> how you're supposed to settle down even before the, the yoga started. I, wow, I was being so fast. I was oh, out of breath, just running here. 
And I was just going through that realization, realization like, dude, why are you always going late? Why are you always being late? It, it just ruins you because you're not prepared. Mm. You don't, it takes a lot more time to get ready and you're always rushing to places. And it felt so chaotic. So I needed today. Mm. I needed that yoga practice, even though it was sweaty <laughs> and <laughs> difficult to hold those poses. <laughs> but it was, it was beautiful through a struggle, right? So, mm. yeah. What about you, Liam? How do you how do you feel being the guide of a meditation and your yoga practice today? So I just want to give a shout out to Melissa and Cecily from the yoga group and Assembly Yoga for, I guess, having me in their training over the past few years and allowing me to connect to part of myself that was already there but was untapped, but to also connect with the community around me and to be able to offer practices like this. This time around, I didn't say it from the heart, but I read from a script from the manual mm. itself mm. and I felt so rigid in doing so. Although I did adapt some pieces, um, in the future I'd like to make this practice and be able to share this much more my own and more natural mm. as well. Mm. And yeah, but it's, it's good to be able to, I think, share this and, and always happy to offer as well. So I want to tap into spaces that I can do this much more. And I think I'm starting to find the groove with the podcast these mm. days. Yeah. Mm. And look, where I want to start today, Anzari, is to hear about your family's journey and uh, history of migration to Fiji and to Australia and beyond. Because in this podcast, we have been exploring others' identity and the stories of ancestry because of if you look around us we're so blessed to have multiculturalism around us everybody here is from a different place and we just want to celebrate that oh so much and mm. it's only through sitting and listening are you able to learn about mm. others history we find so if you're happy to share i'd love to We'd love to all hear it. Should I start in the 1800s? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like how long is this conversation? Um, so I guess starting from now, so I'm Fijian Indian, which means I grew up in Fiji, but my ancestry is um, Indian. Um, and it's funny, I always get asked this question of um, when did Indians move to Fiji or how did Indians end up in Fiji? And it wasn't by choice. Um it was through an indenture system. So um, when slavery ended, um, Indians were brought to different countries, so including Fiji, Ghana, variety of different places. Um, so that's how my great-grandparents ended up in Fiji. So my parents were born there, my grandparents were born there, I grew up there. And I was about 10, I think my sister was eight, um, when we moved to Australia. Um, and this was back in the 90s, so 96, 97. Um, and yeah, so we grew up in Brisbane, which is where we went to primary school and then ended up moving to Melbourne when I was a lot older. So when I got into postgrad studies and my parents moved, so I basically just followed them because they cook the good food. So <laughs> <laughs> I go where they go. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's been an interesting journey going from like being raised in Fiji going to mm. coming into Australia um, and I've talked about this before where I I don't ever I don't think I ever felt like I fit in anywhere because in Fiji we're not exactly Indian we're not exactly Fijian so a lot of our 
um, Indian mannerisms, I guess, gets washed off or washed down um, into an islander perspective. So our food's different. The way that we speak is different. Mm. When we go to India, we get teased about how we speak because we don't speak the proper way. So it's kind of broken up. Um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting having that place and you're kind of like, where do I belong? Where do I fit in? And then moving to Australia when I was 10, when I've only, I haven't really identified who I am, let mm. alone, you know, what my mm. culture is, what my background is. Um, and I think I spent most of my life trying to fit in, to conform to what everybody else was doing, to how everybody else behaved. Um, and it's funny, my sister and I talk about it now that we wish we hadn't ignored all of the things about our ancestry and about our history growing up. You know, like now I see people playing a harmonium in mm. yoga. And we had the opportunity to learn that, but yeah, I was like, cool. I don't want to play that. I want to play the guitar, like yeah. <laughs> the cool yeah. kids in school are playing. So, yeah, it's been an interesting journey to get to where I am now of a bit of self-discovery and the fact that I don't have to fit in anywhere. I just have to find a place where I belong yeah. and that's more than enough. We hear that a lot about wanting to shed your parents' culture while at school mm. because it's embarrassing and it's not mm. the mainstream and although mm. you have all the good delicious food mm -hmm. that's so fragrant with spices and all of these other cooking methods right as a kid you just want what other kids are having yeah. and they're pretty bland and i wanted the boring sandwich <laughs> yeah, you wanted the boring sandwich <laughs> yeah. right but yeah how was that transition for you in schooling in fiji and mm. i guess trying to understand who you were with being born in Fiji, but yeah. having Indian descent, but now ha making the journey all the way to a massive island mm. called Australia, <laughs> so-called Australia, as some people say as well. And how was fitting in and how was adapting to a new country, new school, new environment in Brisbane? Mm. I think I was, now that I think about it, I was probably just in survival mode, so I didn't really think about it much. But I think, I mean, racism hasn't ended in Australia. I said this to someone, I shared something that happened and they said, oh, I can't believe it still happens. And I'm like, well, if you're a color person of color, you know that it still happens. Mm -hmm. So I think back in the 90s, it was a lot worse than what it is now. Um, and that's not to compare saying it's better now, but um, I think especially being a 10-year-old, it felt worse as well. So... I did get, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but I did mm. get a lot of racist remarks growing up, um, particularly about the color of my skin, you know, making fun of the fact that I was Indian. I'm like, I'm not even full Indian, so your joke doesn't make sense. But it just, yeah, I think coming into a new country is hard enough as it is. And then to have people make fun of the way that you look mm. um, and the food, like I wouldn't take Indian food to school. Mm. And I love roti, like roti, yeah. just anything in there is my favorite. Um, and it's so annoying because people love Indian food now. So I'm like, you people didn't even like it when I was growing up. <laughs> like, and now all of a sudden people are loving Indian food. Um, and so I think that was hard trying to dissociate myself because when I grew up in Fiji, I took roti to school. Like mm. it was normal. Yeah. Mm. Um, and we envied each other just like people do with sandwiches. And so... Yeah, it was it was rough, I think, trying to fit in, trying to be invited to parties and 
not feeling like I felt alone a lot of the time in mm. primary school. And I think that changed a lot when I went to high school. Um, but yeah, it's just, I think it's the constant teasing, the constant comments, the constant racism um, that I think really throws you mm. as a kid. Mm. Um, but I, th- I feel like now I'm pretty impressed with how I did, like in terms of surviving. Mm-hmm. I mean, I say that now, but my we went to, back to Brisbane um, last week for my sister's graduation and we drove past the house that we lived in, which is the housing commission house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked my parents about how they went because I never thought about what they went through moving two kids over. And they were like, most of the time was fine until we came home and you and your sister were crying in two corners of the house wanting to go back home. <laughs> and so I don't remember that part. Mm-hmm. So obviously I was crying a lot wanting to go back home. Um, but yeah, it was, it was rough, but at the same time, I think I am who I am because of those Mm -hmm. moments as well. Mm. And I I find it fascinating because you talk about the experiences as survival, Mm. right? And Mm. the migrant experience for a lot of people is survival. Mm. And I know Kano, you do a lot of work at schools, going to speak with young people, going to speak with adolescents and, and adults in organizations as well. And can you relate to Anzri's story as well? And, and what messages do you share for young people these days to maybe get out of survival mode and into integration mode and, and finding mm. their place and f- not just fitting in, but carving out their own space? Mm. I think that's a great question. And bit of background i'm also a migrant moved here when i was about seven years old and you can hear a little bit about on my on my little podcast but some of the things that i think it's very common what your experience it's i think even today it's very very similar i think what's changing is the the cultures are changing of who are minorities i think people from indian backgrounds people from mixed indian backgrounds they're not the minority anymore mm. i feel like there's new cultures coming in, in who are facing more issues are uh, you know they're facing more racism compared to compared to others, which is again nothing taken away from the existing communities, but it's I think that's there's a shift in coming. So I think the issues are still prevalent. It's just it's taking on a different community or it's taking on a different form of doing that. And I think the hard thing is when you when you're a young person, you you grow up with TV with other things where you don't see people like yourself, mm-hmm. you don't see the representation, and so instinctively or subconsciously, you're like I'm not good enough. I'm not good, good enough to be in this classroom. I'm not good enough to play the sport. I'm not good enough to go to this kid's birthday party. You grow up think you you grow up with, I'm not normal. I'm I'm ugly. I'm, I don't like the color of my skin. I don't like my food. Because you don't see that accepted in the community. And so you almost tried to, I did the same thing of growing up. I want to shred my 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 language. I want to shred my food. Loved my Nutella sandwiches, <laughs> right? Because I just want to be like everyone yeah. else, not be picked on for being different. Mm. Um, and so few of the messages that I share with young people is, especially when I go work with school and, and when it comes to staffing is, let's, let's change it at the policy level, right? Let's get some representation going in the staff. Let's do some actual work. Not Let's just not celebrate Harmony Day, right? Or whatever the technical term is mm-hmm. on just that one day. Mm-hmm. Let's keep this a thing, a conversation or a topic for the, for the whole year because this is more prevalent than ever. We're going we're gonna to keep on having new people coming in young people finding the identity let's ha- let's create an environment where they can explore that mm-hmm. and one one it's a really practical tip that i also used was now in the day and age that we live in there is so many communities that you can be part of growing up 
Um, but you know, maybe in your experience, there wasn't mm. a lot of external communities you could access other than your school. Yeah. Whereas for me, I found my community in gaming because you couldn't see my face. Um, people could pick up on my accent that obviously I was Indian or whatever, but they don't know who I, what I looked like. Mm. I had a gamer tag. It was Lucifer. Um, <laughs> I, I, that's what, that was my identity. And that's what allowed me to find my belonging in a way. And that's why I think I played a lot of video games growing up because people didn't know who I was. Mm. I played and people, because I was a good player, people gave me respect because mm. of who I am without visually looking at me or seeing how I am. So I think one of the messages I share to young people is to find your community, whether that's online, whether that's, we have so many different spaces where you can find community. I mm -hmm. find that sense of belonging where you can be celebrated, where you are, you can just be yourself, right? You can, you don't walk into a space and you automatically realize, all right, I'm the only colored mm -hmm. person or I'm only, I'm the only migrant or, you know, mm -hmm. this person here. You find a space where you can walk in, you don't have to, you don't have to justify your place. Um, and it's hard to find that community, especially when you're very young. But I think the online space provides provides that for a lot of people. Definitely. No, I agree with that. Um, in hindsight, thinking about it, uh, I think I found that community in gaming as well when I was growing up. Mm. I think that's why for me, I never thought about the importance of all this cultural stuff until now, now that we're having these conversations. Mm. But in hindsight, yeah, like what you're saying, when you're playing those video games, and you get the respect because you're good or you you win a, a match or something it feels great right mm. and you feel a part of something so yeah i really resonate with that yeah mm. and it's fascinating for a lot of young men it's through gaming and through yeah just talking shit with your mates yeah. through mm. that and it's building a sense of community mm. as well but for me i've been able to build this through through yoga and, and through my practices and through just week after week attending class, finding a highness in, in lying in Shavasana and just feeling like you're on drugs, feeling like you're on top of the world, right? That's what it feels like sometimes. And But it's so fascinating when you look into different spaces and when you're connecting with the practice and its origins from India as well. And I know... Anzri, and I want to hear more about it in your work as a Lululemon ambassador and all the incredible work that you're doing to try and make the practices and the spaces more available to mm. others who mm. are culturally diverse. Because when you enter a yoga studio and there is a stereotype and a certain mm. stereotype that sticks in yoga and you're doing hard work to dispel that as well. So I'd love to hear more. Um, I feel like I'm doing hard work. Sometimes it doesn't feel like I'm going anywhere. But um, just to comment, though, I loved what you said, Ken, about finding, like, not being, not thinking you're the only person of color in a room, like finding the place where you feel like you do belong and mm. finding that people are like you in that space. Because I've grown, I've thought that so many times where I've walked into a space. And I think when you're of color, you do that anyway, right? You walk into a space and you're like, I'm the mm. only brown person in the space. Mm. And you notice. And I remember one of my friends said that, um, and she's of color, she said, I didn't realize, I didn't think I was beautiful growing up, but I realized that I wasn't hanging around with anyone that looked like me. And so my definition of beauty was based off the people mm. I was hanging around. Mm. And as she shifted into her community and people who are more like her, she realized that she is pretty, like that there wasn't, you know, she's not ugly because she's brown. 
um, which I think is something I grew up with as well. Like I never felt like I was pretty. And not that prettiness matters, but it does when you're 10 years old and everyone is concerned about how good looking everyone is. When you get older, that kind of dissipates, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think kids mm -hmm. now are changing and there's not so much of that anymore. But I think we're still in a culture of, you know, who's Instagrammable. So, but anyway, moving on from that. Um, I, yeah, so my, I teach yoga um, and I, at the moment, I'm teaching at Assembly Yoga. And one of the big reasons why I teach at Assembly is because and I think it, a lot of it has to do with based, it being based in Westwood's Gray, mm -hmm. is that there's so much diversity in that space. And I realized that that's where I want to teach is I want to make yoga accessible to everyone. And as I say that, I realize that yoga studios aren't exactly accessible. Um, but in that setting, my goal is to make yoga more accessible. Um, and I try to do that outside of the yoga studio as well. So my work with Lululemon, um, is more about getting yoga out there and you know being part of this platform and this big brand um i think is a good way for me to do that for me to get my practice out there and for other people to see that if you know if i'm a person of color practicing that maybe they feel like they belong as mm -hmm. well because i've heard so many comments about people um, of Indian background where they say they can't, they don't feel like they can come into a yoga studio and they don't belong in a yoga yeah, studio. Right. And so I think that's a big thing. Like if for you to feel like that your own practice, your ancestry is not yours, um, I think is a big concern for the yoga community. But I don't think that's going to change tomorrow and I don't think that's going to change 10 years down the line. But I think it doesn't mean that you, like I'm not going to give up on doing it because I think the more teachers of color there are, the more accessible the practice will feel. Mm -hmm. um, so even in the moments that I want to give up and I don't want to do it anymore because it feels like a lost cause, if I stop, then who else is going to fulfill that role? And mm -hmm. so, I mean, I'd love to see more teachers of color in the teaching space, but there's still such a lack of diversity, I think, mm -hmm. in that space. Mm -hmm. So you're flying the flag. Do you feel mm. pressure? <laughs> I don't really see it that way. Yeah. I think, um, I don't even know who said this, but someone said, if you can't do big things, do little things in big ways. Does anyone mm. know who said that? Someone I really smart. Heard about it. Exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's not mine, but somebody said that. And so I feel like that's me. Like, mm. I'm just, I'm not focusing on changing the world. I'm just focusing on changing the community around me. Mm. And so, yeah. Like, I think it's it's going to be a work in progress. It's not like all of a sudden, oh, we've won and now everything's great again. Yeah. Um, I think little by little things are going to start to shift. And I think people are recognizing that. People are recognizing what appropriation is um, mm -hmm. and what's not accepted in yoga and what you shouldn't be doing. Um, mm. So I think there's a better understanding of it now than what there was, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So appropriation is, how does it make you feel as an Indian person or Fijian Indian person mm -hmm. and, and seeing misuse potentially or, or use without permission of certain practices? I think, so I think there's a few different sides to it. I don't, I don't think it's my job to tell people what they do. Mm -hmm, of course. Um, and how they should teach and how they should 
um, you know, put out their practices. But as an Indian, as, as someone of color, I think it's important for people to realize what they're teaching and the reasons for why they're saying the things that they say. So, you know, it can be something as simple as like when people say namaste. Mm-hmm. Namaste is not even used that commonly anyway. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up saying namaskaran, which is a, mm-hmm. a different variation. And so I think it just, because somebody said it and now it's gone through this, like everyone's saying it now yeah. situation. Mm-hmm. I think it's as simple as that. Like if you're saying it at the end of the class, do you know what it means? And why are you saying it? Is there a different way of saying it? Mm-hmm. Why do you need to use that word? And so I think it's little things of like maybe people should be starting to question the things that they are teaching and the words they are using and why they're using it, right? Like mm-hmm. some, and I understand that if you just don't know and if you never thought about it, I get it. But yeah, I think it's important to recognize why you're doing the things that you're doing in life in general, yeah. mm-hmm. regardless of whether it's yoga or not. Um, but yeah, I think at the same time, you know, there's like goat yoga and wine yoga. (laughs) Somebody said to me once, you know, what does it matter if yoga is getting out there? And I I get it. Like I came into yoga just for the physical practice. I had no intention of meditating and sitting Mm -hmm. quietly, Mm -hmm. but now my practice has shifted. So who am I to judge people that are doing goat yoga if that's gets them into (laughs) yoga, you know? So I think it's sometimes it's such a fine line between appropriation and appreciating Mm -hmm. a practice. Yeah, Mm. through my travels, I I received a lot of greetings and it was namaskar. Mm. And it was a way to say hello, right? Mm. And through a yoga practice, it's kind of, now that I think about it, it's kind of odd to say namaste at the Mm -hmm. end when it means hello or like, (laughs) what's up? (laughs) (laughs) Or just not knowing the deeper meaning to it, right? Like namaste was started as like a, I as a human see you as Mm -hmm. another human. And there's, it's such a deep meaning to it that Mm. it's like to, when you say to someone, how are you, but you don't really care how they are, Mm -hmm. you know, they're like, I'm good. And you're like, great. Bye. (laughs) And so I think namaste is the same. Like if you want to say that word, you should be able to look at somebody and say, I see you as a human. Mm. Yeah. You know, they, and so, yeah. Anyway, I have many things to say about that. One. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. It's interesting you say that because growing up in India, um, <coughs> we never used the word namaste. It's never yeah. been part of my language. And so when I moved here, I'm like, why is this the, accept- why is this the accepted term? I've never used namaste in my yeah. life. My family, my whole state, pretty much, I'm from yeah. Gujarat. No one uses namaste. Mm. That's not a term that we use. So I'm like, where is this coming from? And I guess making the point around, I guess India is a billion people. And so the more, more, more prominent, the more, you know, the culture that's out there a little bit, that's that's the word that's used for mm-hmm. them. And that's the word that's now used centrally across the world. But namaste is not a little word that a lot of Indian people use. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's just facts. But now it's just become very stereotypical that when you're doing something Indian or that way, oh, you should you should use namaste. Or like using namaste at the end of a yoga practice, you know, doesn't make doesn't make no yeah. sense. That's quite funny to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How was your recent trip to Gujarat and back home with your family? And yeah. I know there was a big, big celebration. Big celebration, big cultural celebration. Um, I'm going to put this fellow down. Um, big <laughs> cultural celebration for me. Um, it was it was weird, right? Yeah, I haven't been gone, haven't gone back in five years. And that was when I was 18, now I'm 23. And so there's a big phase of realization of myself, realization of my culture, where I fit into these things. Whereas when I'm young, I'm just going for the vibes, right? It's mm-hmm. good fun good food i'm not too stressed now that i'm a bit more older 
I understand family dynamics, understand cultures, I understand how now that I'm getting a bit older, I'm like, once I start a family, oh, how do I keep up this practice? How do I mm. still stay connected to my culture? Because I'm going to go back now. In 10 years, 20 years, my connection slowly will dissipate to, to my, you know, my land, right? Because mm. I don't live there anymore. And now my, my future offsprings, they're not going to have that connection mm. at all to land. And so how are they going to keep up their, their connection? So a lot of my trip was figure, figuring where I fit into that. Um, or where do I fit into the cultural connection that I have? How do I continue to learn for myself but then also challenge my even because i've been here for 18 or 15 or 16 years a lot of my practices have come from a western civilization a lot of my perspectives have been formed by a western perspective now going to india to i'm coming from a different perspective now so i'm challenging i found myself constantly challenging the thoughts and processes i had mm. Mm. so that's very interesting yeah very interesting and Jasper, you're heading to the Philippines soon oh, yeah. as well. How oh, shit, exciting. How do you feel about that? Because <laughs> of all the discussions we've been having and mm. the other week we had Tyson Tuala, who is a Maldi man. And it was just so inspiring for all of us because his connection to his culture, you can see it and sense it. And mm. it was very spiritual mm. for him. It was very sacred in how he was able to share that but also integrate that into how he does business as well. And mm. I know Jasper's been very inspired to dig very. deeper into <laughs> his own cultural heritage. As, as Not as deep on. yet. No, <laughs> I, I listened to one podcast, all right? <laughs> but it was a really good podcast. Um, one thing I gotta say is just having these conversations, I'm realizing when I first went to Philippines, when I was a child and seeing my family, I remember crying and being like, I wanna go back home. Mm. And I was like, now I'm looking at it, what like this is your family as well right like how do you not feel at home here so i think for me now with this journey of being inspired and hearing all these stories and having these conversations um i've said this at nauseum is just how i've growing to appreciate our culture now and yeah just i, I had a because of that, that conversation with tyson i spoke to my mom and Find, like just ask her like how did you and dad what was your journey like coming to australia and it was a pretty uh, deep and emotional conversation that got all of us crying and tears <laughs> and stuff but i i really appreciated and felt my parents sacrifice mm -hmm. and made me want to be like i want to give back to them how mm -hmm. can i give back to them i'm feeling i'm getting quite emotional but <laughs> i just feel it um but yeah, no, it's it's a beautiful journey to be able to finally find and discover more about our culture and more about my family's history. Because it was even sad to ask mom, like, hey, mom, do you know anything about native Filipino culture? It's like, I know one like dialect, but that's it. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, how come they they were born there? They grew up in the Philippines, but they don't know anything about it like the native mm. culture. So for me now, it's just how can, what can I do to find and dig deeper in that research of Filipino culture and kind of discover why a lot of us have forgotten or don't know about the native mm. cultures mm -hmm. there. So if anyone listening to this, please hit me <laughs> up. <laughs> if you know anything, please let me know. And uh, yeah, I think the podcast I was listening to, there's been so many countries that's invaded and taken mm -hmm. over our land mm -hmm. so it's been lost over time 
right? We've, we had the Spanish, we had Americans, we had, I think one at one point the British as well. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot, not as, as many as other cultures <laughs> out there, right? But yeah, I feel like there's a lot of lost research that mm -hmm. I want to dive into. So I'm, I'm grateful for these conversations. I'm grateful for you guys because you guys have opened this door for me. So I really appreciate it. It sounds like a common theme, right? Like Kena mentioned it as well about trying to find ways to retain your culture. Yeah. And I've had this conversation with my family. Like my sister one day was like, we're speaking in English. No one's going to speak in English. Like we're speaking in Hindi. <laughs> and it took us forever to formulate a paragraph. And she's like, you know what? Just say it in English. Like, I don't know what you're trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> so, But that's one of my fears too. And I was talking to my dad about it. I was like, can you teach me how to cook this? Because mm, mm. growing up, like he cooks it and I'm just like, yeah. I'm just there to eat and I've never <laughs> learned. And I'm like, one day he's not going to be around. Mm. Like, and mm. that's just life. Yeah. And I don't want it to be lost with him. Yeah. And so now mm. like growing up, I was trying to get rid of my culture. And now all of a sudden I'm like, teach me everything. <laughs> like, how do I retain yeah. it and how do I keep it? Definitely. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And can I add, add two few cents to that? I think it's it's very when I went to India, I had a very interesting experience because I can speak English, can speak Hindi mm. and Gujarati, but then because I haven't used my, I haven't read my language, I haven't written my language, mm. I've forgotten how to write. Mm -hmm. um, the all I know is how to write my name in Gujarati, <laughs> right? Um, Hindi, I didn't learn a lot in school, but Gujarati, I went to a Gujarati medium school, so the language used was Gujarati. Mm -hmm. so I can read, I can, I know the alpha a little bit, and then I went there. I was like, oh, I see all these symbols. I'm trying. I'm literally trying to make. What does that say? Does that say <laughs> yeah. food? Does that say water? <laughs> and so one of the things that I consciously tried to do, or even downloaded an app, was to learn my language because mm -hmm. I think if I don't learn my language, how I'm going to pass it on. To, mm -hmm. my, to my, you know, my future generations, mm. not just me, but the rest of the community, because the way I'm trying to think of us as, well, and eventually we'll be the elders of our community. Mm. We'll mm. be the ones that are, look, you know, we have elders right now that we look up to. Eventually we'll be, we will be the ones passing on our culture. We'll be the ones holding down traditions, mm. right? And so it's important for us to almost learn our practices but from the authentic form rather than that's where the appropriation comes in where mm -hmm. we don't want to learn, you know, I've seen classes where people are teaching Indian food and mm. they're not from Indian, <laughs> they're not from an Indian background. I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> but like, I don't want my, 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 you know, the next Indian, the next wave of Indian generation or me to go to a, to an Indian cooking mm. class taught by someone who's not Indian. Mm. So I think it's important. We, we try to learn from the authentic sources right now, what we have, which is our family, which are the connections that we have to our land you know mm. we still we can we're still in a capacity to go back to our lands and still feel a sense of connection mm. whereas eventually the next generation won't have that connection i think it's an important mm. we yeah. and so that's something that, that's been pondering on my mind is i want to go back on a constant basis and find a purpose of going here obviously we've got family but i want to find another purpose what is that a cultural purpose a religious purpose of why do i want to go back on these lands mm. and you know if, get create a create a greater sense of home. Yeah. I just had this urge to book a flight to Fiji now. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time you went to Fiji? Oh, good. Um, 2018? Mm -hmm. No, 2017, something like that. And how was your experiences visiting the place of your birth and place of your mother's birth as well? Um, that was an interesting one. Like the last time I was there, I, it was my wedding and I am no longer married. Um, so I kind of, part of me wants mm. to rewrite that. 
that day or that visit. Um, but that visit in itself, regardless of whether that relationship, you know, was a terrible one, but <laughs> the visit itself was incredible. Like we did a traditional Indian wedding. And by that, I mean, we cut down three of the five days that's involved in it. <laughs> <Yeah, very much. laughs> I was like, just give me the good stuff. Let's <laughs> leave that other part out. Um, and my cultural heritage, so my dad's Muslim, my mom's Hindu. So it's Ooh, two different sides of the- Wow, the, very interesting. Yeah, how was the wedding? Was how did you was back then. Uh, how did you figure out what pro religious processes or, yeah, you know, that I deems didn't. a wedding? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we had a traditional, I'm gonna say white people wedding because um, my partner is American, was American. He's not dead, is American. Um, <laughs> he was never going to listen to this. It's fine. Um, yeah, so it was part Muslim celebrations, part yep. Hindu kind of thing. Um, mm. So we still had like the henna, mandy yeah. stuff. Um, and it's kind of nice that way because then I don't have to conform to like the full-blown Muslim stuff and the mm. full-blown Hindu stuff and it's just too much. Um, so, yeah, that, it was, that trip was great because, you know, I had – I took my mom's sari and remade it to fit wow, me, so I wore cool. her sari. Yeah, and all my friends got dressed up in mm. saris because that was the requirement for the many night. So it's just for me that trip was like, it's the most I've connected with my culture mm. and yeah. the most accepted I felt of my friends who were like, this is incredible, like so mm. much fun dressing up in saris and learning about your culture. And yeah, that was an incredible moment for me. And so I feel like. Yeah, now I want to go back and see it a different way, I think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So one of the trips that I got inspired to go on, and I think a part of me always wanted to go there, but through these conversations is that I want to go back to Pulau Bidong, which is the refugee camp or the island that my parents settled there for three months or more wow. uh, back after their escape from Vietnam. And the other day I went on Google Maps just to suss it out and how far away <laughs> it was from the main island of Malaysia. And look, we're blessed with the power of the internet and satellites now. And you can see remnants of tombs that are there yeah. that mm. people, when they were waiting for processing, they lost their lives mm. or they couldn't deal with it anymore. So they took their lives as well. So. I got emotional looking at this, but there's just for some reason a calling for me to go there to see what my parents experienced with mm. my own eyes, to feel only just a fraction of what they felt mm. at that time because after giving everything away and, and getting money and gold from your parents to pay people smugglers and going on a treacherous journey in the ocean and, and to land at a refugee camp, but to land on an island where you just see land and you're just so happy at that point, but they landed and then they burnt their boats just so that the people couldn't send wow. them back away. And so for my parents to experience this, for them to, what I've realized is they gave up everything so that they could invest in me and my siblings. Mm -hmm. Right, all of the extra tutoring that we used to complain about, the piano <laughs> lessons, things like that of an Asian parent household, <laughs> we complained about it, but our parents worked day and night just so mm. that we can afford these opportunities. Mm. And I often, whenever I'm at Williamstown or if I'm driving down Beach Road and I just see the luxurious 
generational wealth that gets passed down through many generations or you go down to Portsea and you see people with beach houses here and there that belong to the grandparents and for me I feel sometimes a sense of loss because mm. my family weren't ever able to have this mm. but now I see it as now is the chance to build this now is the chance to to live what I live and then be able to pass this down to whoever is able to inherit this as well so yeah just that sense of sacrifice do you do you both feel that as well we spoke to jahin the other week and he he just wants to be his best so that he can give back to his family and say yo you you made that risk and i'm gonna make you happy and proud i think that's the story of immigrant kids right mm. <laughs> like my sister Straight and i up. were talking about this she had her graduation um and I was sitting with my parents and my dad looks so bored. He was like, this is the fourth one, the fourth university graduation between them. <laughs> so I think we, my sister and I overcompensated. Like we knew what they sacrificed. Mm. Um, and we just went all out. And now I'm like, this is why you have to sit through a fourth graduation because <laughs> we're just trying to figure out how to make, not make them feel proud, but like that their sacrifices wasn't for, you know, nothing. And mm. I remember like my parents lived, a, we lived a good life in Fiji and they had great jobs, but they came here and, you know, they had to work sales jobs and my dad had to work in a furniture factory just mm -hmm. to earn an income and we had to move into community housing. Like it was just, yeah, so they, they went through a lot. I mean, we, my sister and I were too busy being self-absorbed in that time, but now that I've grown up and realized. Um, so I think now we're at the overcompensation stage, mm -hmm. <laughs> like piling on the university degrees. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think now it's like, we just want to make sure that they are happy. Mm. Just like that they, they ensured that mm. we were happy growing up. Yeah, my old man worked in the same factory for 35 years. Mm. Every day waking mm. up at 5 a.m. And, mm. and getting out of the house. And when I was younger, I, I didn't used to see him as much. But as we build and you appreciate them f for so much and, and for all that they've given you. And it, it sometimes just baffles me that they were able to, to suck shit like that, mm. right? Because it's not mm. pleasant. It's, it's, it's not pleasant at all. And sometimes you complain about being tired and and you don't really know what tired is sometimes it's all relative but mm. it's just look i just want to go back to my parents and just give them a big hug after this, to be <laughs> honest. Too, man. Yeah. it's interesting it's interesting you say that because i come from a different perspective where my parents they sacrifice a lot to be here you know to move up when they were i think like 36 38 which is like reasonably you know when they, they had two kids the entire family they grew up there probably not the best education levels um to move to a new country not knowing the language the culture coming you know li we lived in a very like two-bedroom house with 13 people right very it was very tight um to to not to not have work for a couple of months to not have any income coming through like you know we didn't we, we had malways back in the day we had to figure out how to get from <laughs> how to get from this job to this job on a, on a, on a mikey right not a mikey a mech card, a mech card whatever it was. like we're blessed now that we have all these so it's easy for us mm. and i think i've i found the challenge of you know my parents want me to go to university get a good job because for them that is success like 
I, I think about it from their perspective is for them, they've almost made it in life, right? They've got to own house. Mm-hmm. They've got a good car, right? Four wheels like to, in India, like everyone rides bicycles. To get a car, mm-hmm. four wheels, that's a, that's a huge thing to get a car. Mm-hmm. Now, the mom, I, we all have cars now, right? And so I think for them in their eyes, it's, it's a bit of a success. And so the way I look at it now, because I want to give back to them as much as possible and enrich their lives in non-financial ways, whether that's taking them on trips, building connections to community, building connections with themselves, creating a network, a social circle for them, mm-hmm. um, for them to, to get connected in. Because I feel like financially or other things, facility-wise, for them, they've, this is this is so good uh, from from where I've come from. This is golden. Mm. Um, and I, I, get, I sometimes I get put in a weird box where I didn't go to university, I didn't get the traditional means of education or traditional means of a job that I've sort of let down because they really want me to get a degree. They're really, you know, but now in, I'm, I'm, they're happy with what I'm doing. But I had this really interesting phase of do I live to their expect, expectations or do I live to my own? And I think a lot of young people go through this phase where they have this guilt of, crap, my parents sacrificed so much for me. Mm. I should live up to their expectations to make them happy. Mm. Um, and I, I had the exact same phase of I know I can get this degree for them, get it done, make them happy. Put up on the on the you know on the dining table wherever it is. I right? put it up there, take a good photo. But I know for me, you won't make me, me you won't make myself happy at the expense of what. Mm-hmm. And then over time, I don't want to get to a level where I resent them for forced. Yeah. Not that they forced me, but for me, almost subconsciously, think I need to get them this for them. Mm-hmm. So I think it's managing that burden of living to their expectations, what you think your parents mm-hmm. want, and then also at the end of the day, I feel like they just want you to be happy because they mm-hmm. sacrificed so much to be here. Mm. And now I feel like in some capacity, they are happy. My parents, are, I would say they're happy. And so ideally they want me to be happy. And that doesn't have to be accolades. That doesn't have to be in buying the big, biggest mansion. Obviously that helps, but I think just being happy, <laughs> but I think just being happy with what I'm doing, I think. Mm. Yeah. Wow. You put that well, because I, I've had those similar feelings. In my case, there was a lot of burden for me to stay in a religious organization to keep my parents happy. Mm. And I had to leave for my own decision because there was, it's hard to put in words without <laughs> explaining too much, but I got to a point where I had like, what's the word? Pretty much I had to make a choice. It's either this or that. And if mm. I, it was a lose-lose situation in, in a way and for me, it was, I had to decide which was I willing to lose more than the other, mm-hmm. right? Either way, my parents weren't going to be happy of my decision. Or it's, either way, my parents would be happy, wouldn't be happy or I wasn't going to be happy. Mm-hmm. And I had to choose what was more important in that situation. And we all want to make our parents happy. But sometimes the decisions we make in life, we have to choose ourselves mm-hmm. over them. Mm-hmm. And when I chose that decision over my over them with my happiness, it took a bit of time for them to find that happiness. But mm. eventually I think they came to realize like, oh, our decision for you to do something else wasn't gonna make you happy. It wasn't gonna make us happy in the end. And I think because of that, we have a better relationship. Mm. And you don't see it in that moment when you make those decisions, but hindsight is 2020 right you'll see further down the track mm-hmm. that oh yeah. it was the right decision 
I don't know where that I was going with that. I, this always happens. I have a. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm having many senior moments lately. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess like in, today we're really showing a lot of appreciation to our parents, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And yeah, like uh, man, just thinking about it, man, I just love them so much, right? Mm -hmm. But it, that's what family is. You will go through hard times, hard mm -hmm. conversations, and there'll be times where you butt heads. But it's in a sense all out of love, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So thank you to mom and dad. Thank you to all our parents, you know, shout out to Bless up, bless up. You know, we're bless all up. doing things in life that I guess mm -hmm. we were passionate about and we enjoy. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing, right? How many of yeah. us actually have an opportunity to do those things and really go at it, to mm -hmm. do those things, right? So yeah, look, I, I, I'm appreciative of you guys to see what you guys are doing. I'm, I'm lurking in the on socials, so I'm watching whatever you guys are doing. I'm like, damn, that's fucking sick. You know, so. Sounds like I'm watching. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, stalking. I'm, stalking. I'm stalking. I'm stalking. I'm glad somebody reads my post. But it's interesting the definition of success, right? Mm. Like when I go, I remember saying this to someone that my wedding got more attention than my PhD when mm. I went to Fiji. And because in Fiji, getting married and having children is the most successful thing. Even mm. though you're miserable in that marriage and your kids are not listening to you, like it doesn't matter. But mm. education wasn't valued as much. Yeah. And I think my parents were different in that sense that they valued edu education more than being in a relationship. Mm. But I think even that's shifting, right? Yeah. Like priorities and what's mm. defined as success. I think in our society, success still is marriage and kids, mm. um, quite frankly, is what it feels like. But yeah, it's interesting to see that shift. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think going on to that, I think that's a blessing mm. of living of where we are living, right? Mm. On these beautiful lands of, I think a lot of us come from backgrounds where we, we had a very collective mindset mm like a family mm -hmm. because we had to, we didn't have yeah. enough yeah. means of getting mm -hmm. income. We didn't have enough means of providing shelter. So we had to have this collective mindset of let's keep everyone together. Let's be safe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's not take risks because if one of us stuffs up, the whole family mm -hmm. falls down, right? Mm -hmm. It's an interesting phase now. We live in Australia. You, you could work any job and you will get a decent pay. Mm -hmm. Whereas compared to if you do the same job in India or a different country, you're not going to get the same mm -hmm. rate. Yeah. Whereas even if you do a different job here, right? You worked at Macca's. Yes, it's not the greatest pay, but still, something whereas if you worked in like a a crappy fast food job in india you're getting nothing right you're getting 50 100 rupees a day which is not going to provide anything so i think it becomes very interesting here where you can be take risks you can do yeah. you can pursue solo goals mm. without without necessarily sacrificing your family which i think mm. takes a lot of understanding and that shift from a collective mindset that a lot of us grew up in which our parents probably still have in some capacity of to course. us now where we grow up in schools of follow your passions, do what you want to do, yeah. don't worry about the pay, yeah. where you know, our, our cultures or our ancestors probably didn't come, didn't bring it up thinking that way, or even us now. Our parents didn't embody these values of, you know, on my mind, my parents didn't embody the law of make a lot of money, you know, start a business, do this, do this, right? Because that wasn't that wasn't a thing that was part of yeah. my family. And that's I think there's a obviously the wealth gap, but I think there's also the knowledge gap of fitness of nutritional food mm -hmm. that i think because i my i know my family answers were trying to survive that, that they didn't have time to figure out what's the best nutritional source how to figure out this fitness thing they didn't have these little assets whereas now i feel like my generation or me, i'm finding all these things of oh this is cool this is a new knowledge gap that i didn't know yeah. i could i could access and now 
I'm learning these things and I feel like I almost want to give back to my parents and let them know about why eating so much oil is bad mm-hmm. or why eating, you know, <laughs> put so much ghee on or like, you know, whatever it is, right? It's not the most healthiest thing in the world yeah. when they didn't necessarily grow up with that knowledge mm. um, with them being taught to them by from a young age. Yeah. So what you said there just triggered a random encounter I had yesterday. I was in sunshine and I was... Mm. It feels so beautiful to be in multi- different cultural spaces. In Sunshine, you can go to an Afghan restaurant and it just feels so authentic. It took me back when I was in Iran. I was eating <clears throat> a chapli kebab, um, which is super delicious. And I had a lot of people looking at me because I was eating with my hands. I was eating it the way that they were eating it as well. And they're like, hey, who's this guy? <laughs> but I ended up in one of the... Uh, I think it seems like an Afghani convenience store or a, a, a shop. And I saw a box and it said emergency food. And it was a block that was pretty heavy, but it weighed 500 grams and it had like 2,500 calories Jeez. inside. But thinking about that was quite grim because where else would these emergency foods be distributed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To get that amount of calories to eat a block of who knows what was in it and yeah it was just the reality of life sometimes but at the moment we've been looking back at our family history migration and stories of growing up as a migrant i'm keen to find out from each of and every one of you maybe starting with jasper is now that we're looking back how can we use this to empower us moving forward how do you use your culture mm. to connect with others? But how can you harness it as a superpower rather than a deficit? Mm, true. I think one of the biggest things that's we're really lucky to have is being connected to the Pinochetpreneurs, right? That that mm-hmm. Philippine business expert community. So it's it's cool to be a part of something that is a part of the i guess philippine community in australia in melbourne Mm. um yeah i think it's with these conversations right like because we've had these conversations i wouldn't have really thought how important this really is for our community Mm. and yeah i think it's just about getting out there if we weren't at migrant coffee that night we want to be connected to this community right so you have to be able to go to these places and kind of just discover and see if you know just go there and try it out you never know what's going to happen and seek right. it out too then huh? and seek it out and seek it out yeah mm. yeah i feel like i'm kind of um similar in terms of seeking it out like i i grew up not having very many friends who are fijian indian mm-hmm and I recognize that now as I've grown up. Also, I didn't want to, like, we'd have Fijian Indian event nights, um, which I'd never go to because I was like, mm, I don't want to be associated with those people. <laughs> but now I'm like, I want to start going to those. Like, I need more Fijian Indian friends. And so I recently made friends um, with an Indian girl who connected me with somebody else. She's like, I think you'd really get along. And Ooh. turns out that girl is Fijian Indian. Cool. And so. Now I feel like I'm making connections where I'm connecting back to my culture and people, you know, who grew up like I did. Mm. And I don't, she was saying the same thing where not many people understand what it's like to be Fijian Indian Mm. and, you know, only Fijian Indians know what it feels like. And so it's just, 
it was nice to connect with someone who went through a similar thing, a similar way of growing up. So now I feel like I'm actively going out and looking for my people mm. <laughs> is what it is. Mm. Um, and then when I invite friends over for food, I cook Fijian Indian food. Hells yeah. And so Love. it's just my way of embracing who I am and being more open about who I am, mm. I think. How is yeah. Fijian Indian food maybe different to what we may be used to? Yeah, it's very Indian different. Food? There's no Fijian Indian restaurants. I think there's one in Brisbane. I don't even know if it survived, but... It's not. It's nothing close to Indian food, so it doesn't have as many spices mm. in it, mm-hmm. um, and it's more like Islander vibes to Indian food, I yeah. guess. More root crops. Um, yeah, I don't really know how to describe it, but it's very different too. Thanks, Ansari. We'll definitely Indian be food. able to come to dinner. Learn <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, taste a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's me. You're always invited, by the way. Thank you. Have yourself, Connie. Yeah, it's interesting for me because I feel like since I was a baby, like 18, I've been in this field where about diversity, about inclusion, about identity. So I feel like I've done a lot of my – and I think it's a it's a thing that I'll continue to keep on doing where it's finding out about my culture, finding out about my – and so recently my phase has been to learning about language. I think language mm. written is very, very key and I want to hold on to that. So I'm finding new ways of getting in spaces where I have to read my language, where I have mm. to read stuff that's in my language. So I'm – really trying to challenge myself and grow my my stuff in that little field of language and not in terms of just using it but also reading it writing it getting good with it getting the getting a little you know the nuances of of the language down pat because i think that's where i really want to in, in, encourage or increase my knowledge my cultural understanding i think language plays a big very big factor in that mm-hmm. um so that's me personally but i guess professionally i've been doing lots of work in the community like my you you myself liam we do some work with cmy a few other organizations it's funny um we also set up a non-profit called young gujas of victoria which promotes young gujaratis which i'm which my culture is from to come together we throw events we, we get 200 people together we get 50 people together and people from all walks of life mm-hmm. we have people who are two generations down living here we got fresh international students and you got people like me who are between both and it's a very interesting conversation that happens. Mm. And the default language you fall to is English because that's what everyone <laughs> can speak. Course. But then we we have different con- connection to food. We have different connection to the movies that we watch or different connection to the dance that we have. But it's a really good inter... It's not... Even though we're the same generation, we're all young, but it's almost intergenerational because of the experiences that we've mm. had. Where some people have literally been here for six months. Some been here for 15 years like me. And then some people have been here for two generations. But I think creating that community, which is allows that space for those discussions to happen where people can come regardless of what their connection is to culture and find out about it. We've had people who, who do not look like Gujaratis at all, but they're like my grandpa or my mom's side is from Gujarat, but I have never connected to it because of the space that it, the Australia was 50 years ago. So it's that's interesting that I want to create more spaces like that for other other communities to, to come explore and find out about their identity and get a sense of belonging you, no matter where you are in your journey or how indian you are or how gujarati or you know how asian you are there is a place for you to come in find yourself to see other people just like yourselves um and that's out of that um, i've recently set up an organization called third culture which specializes in consulting does workshops around diversity and inclusion and i think i've re- i've, I've 
was very hesitant to start something up because I believe in the best leaders are ones that follow because there's so many organizations out there. I feel like instead of starting my own thing, I could just join someone else's and contribute so much value. But I've been part of some of these, this work that's going on recently, you know, DNI, diversity inclusion, such a buzzword at the moment where I feel like a few bad actors are coming in and they're just in it for the, for the money, right? Because it, it seems cool. It seems like it's the right thing to do, right? It's the right thing to be diversity, diverse and inclusive. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, the team that's working on it or the people involved, you've never faced racism. Mm. You've never grown up in two different cultures. So how can you do a training on diversity and inclusion? Mm. You know, so that's why I'm like, there is a need for something that's built from lived experience. And, I, mm-hmm. and a lot of my work is rooted Again, I don't have the academic knowledge with me, but I do have the lived experience of working in the community, being involved with community, being a member of community, and then helping out, helping out the community. And I wish, as if the more we talk about this culture thing, I think it will be good to get people to learn about these things, to address these things from a community standpoint, a community viewpoint, where people who are actually affected by it and are worked in are included in the work, rather mm-hmm. than you, you know having senior management who's never been in the community before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot of powerful stuff, a lot of incredible work that Kano's doing mm-hmm. at the moment as well. Mm-hmm. So one other thing that you're doing is that you're going to throw your hat in the ring for the Victorian Multicultural Commission. Youth Commissioner Youth role. Youth Commissioner role. Yeah, yeah it's tell a new, us about that. It's a new role that's opened up and putting it out there, manifesting it if it happens, <laughs> it happens. Um, but I think it, I'm going to that important stage where I've done a lot of work in the community for the past five, five to six years of volunteering, giving out a lot of my time to set up really good projects such as YPIN, YGV, a lot of CMY stuff as well with Culture Spring, a lot of volunteering hours to build up these organizations. And so I've got this knowledge and, you know, I'm 23, about to fall out of the young people bracket, as they say. And so I'm like, how do I use my best expertise to the, to the best of my, you know, to have the greatest impact? And mm-hmm. I'm looking for more leadership positions where I can have that input into decision-making arenas because I've been on the ground, worked very, very hard on the ground. I'm still going to be on the ground, but I have this knowledge and I want to use it in, in a different position. And that's where I really want to apply for the youth commissioner role and see what happens, right? See how I can have a different impact in a more policy advising or a different a strategic direction direction way. Yeah. So, And I've also heard, Liam, that you might be interested as well <laughs> from what I hear. I am and... There's a sense of imposter syndrome, mm. right? As you look at the list of the current commissioners and the wealth and depth of experiences they have with connecting community and building bridges. Mm. But I've also seen the power of this podcast and for me to seek out conversations from those who are different from me, find the space and the time to just sit back and have a yarn mm. and Although it seems like we're just talking, at the same time, we're just connecting at a depth that is not matched outside Mm. as well. So, Mm. yeah, I'll be throwing my hat in the ring and I think I would bring such a dynamism with my past experiences and the organizations that I'm able to connect with through Mm. the work that I do in philanthropy as well. So feel scary to put it out in the open but this is what you got to do right for for big things to happen yeah i think we're just gonna risk it for the biscuit and i think <laughs> <laughs> the, cool, the cool thing about i think you liam is 
obviously you've had all these big connections but then every single person that's been on this podcast it's not you just work together or you sent an email you've sat down for an hour, hour or two hours and had a proper conversation found out their history what they're in, in, interested in what work they want to do and almost in a way you're i feel like for you to having this conversation you're educating yourself on mm. these different experiences live another like 50 60 lived experiences that normally you wouldn't hear about right yeah so i think that in itself is a lot of knowledge that i think you you would bring really nicely to the role yeah, Which I is found... a cool thing. Sorry. No, I was just going to say I think it's thing. a cool way to... <laughs> I think you're pretty cool in doing that. Like, I think it's important to listen to other people's stories because we're so absorbed in our story, right? Mm. Like wanting our story to be heard. I think that's a really cool thing to be able to listen to other people. Mm. I think this whole time we've just been name dropping our past guests and what they've said. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I've been using as evidence for what, what yeah. is going on in the mm. community as well. Mm. But Ansari, I'm fascinated what does the word community mean to you? Oh, interesting. Sounds like a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> no um, wrong answer. I, I feel like that's something that I get from... Um, sorry, <laughs> cut it out, guys. Um, <laughs> that will leave it. <laughs> I feel like that's what the yoga community gives mm. me. Like community for me is a space where people can come together where they feel like they belong. And I think... It's interesting, like Hannah was talking about it earlier, about what our parents went through and where they went from this collective being and collective group to where now going into, you know, finding out more about us and doing things by ourselves. And I sometimes I wonder if that the downside to that is that we become so disconnected from everyone else around us. Mm-hmm. And I always think about this, um, and I think you think about it when you go through adversity, right? Like that there are a lot of people in this world that are struggling. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes when you get so absorbed with your life and what's going on with yours of like, oh, somebody hit my car at the back, life is terrible, everything's going downhill. But in the grand scheme of things, that's not that bad. And so I think for me, community gives me a sense of I'm a speckle in this world. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people that can help me get to the place that I want to be in life. And I'm not talking about, um, you know, professional life or anything, but just mentally where I want Mm. to be in my life. And there's things I think that you can't achieve on your own. I don't think there's anything you can achieve on your own. Mm. And so I think community for me means a place where people can get together, where they belong, where they push each other to grow, Mm. but there's someone that supports you when you fall. Mm. Yeah. Beautifully said. Incredible. Jasper, (laughs) what are your thoughts? On community. Yeah. Mm. What does it mean to you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I haven't really thought about that. I think community is, I guess, what we're doing here. Right, having these mm-hmm. conversations, bringing more people to the, these these podcasts, and having these deep and meaningful conversations. Mm. Um, community could also be going to these events and mm. seeking out, you know, culture and more information. Mm. I think that's community for me is to be a part of something, right? Yeah. And it's like what Ansari said; it, it humbles you, right? That mm. mm. you you are just a dot in a bigger (laughs) huge world out there so yeah i think that's community to me i think the thread so far is that it's something bigger than yourself Mm. Mm. but as a a network that 
you add into, but you also receive mm. as well. So it's quite fluid and I guess community can mean as much to you as much as you give in as well. It's, it's what you make of it. Yeah. Kana with your work that you do and your contributions to the community, what does community mean to you? Yeah, I think similar to what we've said before, I think community makes it's something bigger than you. You're contributing to a bigger cause. You're contributing to something that that feels you feel apart. You feel welcomed, and you, you want to work in it because you feel welcomed. Mm-hmm. There's no necessarily there is no monetary gain, or there's no other gain. You you want to do it because you feel like you should, yeah. or because it feels right to. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what that feeling is, but when you when you have these communities, you're like, I want to be part of this because I like it. Right? Mm-hmm. I feel. I want to give up my time. I want to do this because I enjoy doing it. Not necessarily uh, ret- get anything in return, but I feel like I can just be me. I think mm. community allows a space where we do something that's bigger than us, where we're not necessarily working for ourselves, but we're working for the greater good mm. or for the greater for a greater community. Mm. And for me, I just want to add is community is answering a space where you just immediately feel at home Mm. sometimes when you rock up not expecting to see anybody and you just see people that you know by name as well and i think that's just so beautiful Mm. and whenever i have moments of space and clarity or maybe when i'm feeling down i might seek out a yoga class and just rock up to assembly yoga or west side yoga and just be greeted with the biggest smile Mm. because Mm. people are genuinely just so happy to see you Mm. right or I'm lucky now that I can just walk into Footscray and sometimes I just bump into people. And for me, that's community as well. So mm. it's what you make it. Mm. And I think I urge everybody to to seek it out and whatever it means to you as well. So I think it's a great place to end it. I'm not sure how you're going to do the three questions <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah, three other questions Because <laughs> 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 you've already asked the three questions today. <laughs> We can, oh, do, we can do it again. What was it? We can the do rapid fire. Rapid fire. Oh, no. Rapid fire. Rapid fire, three questions. Go. <laughs> Go, Jasper. I'm not starting first. <laughs> <laughs> what are you grateful for? Life. Life. Yeah. Breath. Yeah. Breath. Mm. <laughs> what have you realized? That the world is huge. <laughs> it's massive <laughs> um, safe space is matter mm, definitely final question what is a question you ask yourself oh I have two of those but I'm not going to mention the um, one that makes me cry but um, mine at the moment is where can I find belonging mm. and mine is where can I be my best self mm. what's a question you ask yourself Am I trying to do too much? Mm. That's a question I ask myself these days. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. What's a question I ask myself? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. What is a question I ask myself? That's a question I ask myself. <laughs> no. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fine. <clears throat> really, I think lately it's been like, why am I comparing myself to who I was before? So yeah. Just comparing with yourself as well. So thank you, Anzuri and Kano, for coming back on the podcast. And thank you for spending the time with us in this yeah. weekend. We really appreciate it. How can oh, we, yeah. how can how can people find you and support <laughs> you guys in your journeys? 
Um, I usually don't do that, but (laughs) anyway, um, I am going to go with the non-social stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so I teach at assembly yoga, um, usually Saturday mornings. Um, and I also run workshops there as well. And then I have a run club, which is specifically for beginners wanting to get into running. It's free. You just show up and it's Wednesday mornings and it's called We Run West. Wow. Um, (laughs) You can find me at Connor Roger. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be tagged. <laughs> um, but no, if you want to have a conversation or just reach out to me, have a 20 minute virtual coffee. I'm more than happy to have, have, happy to have a chat. Love mentoring. Um, do some outside of that as a volunteer. Would love to do that. Um, and professionally, um, recently started my organization working for myself this year, which has been a big move. So if you, there's any capacity, I can bring value in cultural diversity and inclusion and facilitation or anything like that feel free to reach out to me Mm. and youth commissioner i'm coming (laughs) (laughs) well thank you both for this conversation and we hope you enjoyed and had value found some value in this conversation we always stay safe always take care and always get up quick